Psychomedy is brought to you by ThreadUp, Manchester-based therapy that supports creativity. I'm Rafaela Nunes, the founder of ThreadUp and the counsellor supporting the creative community. Comedians and creatives in general can experience anxiety, depression, low moods, and this in turn can affect their creativity. One-to-one counselling can facilitate a safe space for creatives to explore any difficulties, to gain self-awareness, to develop strategies that work, and ultimately to create choices that are aligned with the natural creative flow. If you're in need of support, then please get in touch. Visit threadup.co.uk to book your counselling sessions at reduced rates when you quote Psychomedy. I'm Nathan Cassidy, stand-up comedian and Bachelor of Science in Psychology. And welcome back to my conversation with the brilliant Nick Helm. In part one, we were talking about depression as an abusive relationship, so that's where we're going to pick it up. Coming back to that point about using it as a kind of, like an abusive relationship, you can get some good things out of depression because you get a lot of art out of your depression. Mm. Do you recognise that as a, as, as, as a danger in terms of that circle? Because that's something I used to do in terms of, oh, I'm in a bad state here, brilliant, I can get a great show out of this. So let's... Um... What are you, but what, yeah, exactly, what are you using comedy for? Are you using comedy as a band-aid? Like you go, oh, I'm very depressed, but when I get up on stage, it makes me feel good. And so it's worth suffering just so that I can have 10 minutes after a gig where I feel good about myself. Is that what you're saying? Or would you rather be happy where you don't need to perform at all and you're happy anyway? Do you know what I mean? Because if you're happy, you're happy. But you can be happier and still perform, can you not? Yeah, of course. But but wouldn't it be great to be happy and not need to perform? You know? So it's kind of like... uh, and, 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 and I guess what I'm, when you say the phrase abusive relationship, if you're in abusive, an abusive relationship, you need to get out of that abusive relationship. It's an abusive relationship. Yeah. You know, it's not something that you settle for. I mean, it's crazy listening to somebody, listen to myself, but hearing my words back to me saying, mm. well, depression's a bit like being in an abusive relationship. And it's not, yeah, sure. It's not all, it's not all bad. Sometimes you get taken out for dinner. But a lot of the time you get smacked around. Do you know what I mean? It's just kind of like, so fucking, if you're in that abusive relationship, it's sort of an instigation to get out of that relationship. Um, it's kind of, oh, fuck. I don't know if I want to waste this on your podcast because this sounds like it could be a show. Um, but, do you know, but do you know what I mean? It's yeah, kind well, of I, do, like, I think that's what I, I'm saying. I think... Um, I think it's uh, yeah, it's 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 a thing where you go yeah. I, um, I think my goal in life is to be um, uh, is to make peace with myself uh, and forgive myself and to forgive kind of, yourself. It's just such a strong thing to say. What what for? Um, just. Uh, mistakes and personal failures and um, and perceived failures, you know. Uh, but that's it. Aren't a lot of them perceived failures rather than failures? Yeah, know? sure. I, I think I'm um, I, I'm 
a perfectionist. Mm. And I think I have very high standards when it comes to myself. I think when it comes to other people, uh, you can be sort of like disappointed with people and feel slightly let down by people. But, um, but, but I think that you can forgive people, but I think it's easier to forgive other people than it is yourself. Sure. But do you, is there not some kind of, do you recognise, I know you say that bullying is not, not, not necessarily the um, cause of your depression, but things that have happened in, the, in your life potentially skew your reality of what's actually going on currently in terms of if you're being made to feel worthless in the past, why you're being made to feel worthless or why you're feeling bad now is related to the past. Yeah, yeah. sure. And I think, but I, th- I, but I also think that, um, you know, it kind of like chips away at you. Like mm. like a negative sculpture, you know, like um, uh, like but like okay. One of the things about therapy is that you, there's never enough time to talk about any one thing. So you'll talk about one thing and then you'll go away, and then by the next week you'll be talking about something else, and mm. you go away, and then you realise that from the ground up, there is no part of your life that is uh, that does not need some level of work to it mm. whether it be about uh, eating habits or your relationship with your father or uh, memories of being bullied at school or uh, uh, phobias that you have you know it's kind of like there's um, there's no sort of like aspect, sleeping habits do you know what I mean it can be like your relationship to exercise um, how you feel about your body it's like some of this stuff is all connected, mm. but some of it is just kind of like just like a random thing over there that you're not happy about either, you know. Mm. And uh, I don't know. So sometimes it's sort of like overwhelming, and you don't know where to start. Uh, in terms of bullying, it kind of like or, or using that as an example, um, you look at bullying, and you, and you, uh, I think you realise that um, the world is sort of a cruel place. You know, that's the lesson that you learn from bullying. Not necessarily that that is the truth. I'm not saying that the world is a cruel place, but one of the things that happens when you meet people that are that horrible and that shitty is that you realise that there is that in the world. And if that's your experience of a lot of people, then you can kind of like go, oh, well, the pockets of... Uh, happiness and lightness of few and far between and in actual fact the majority of the world is really shit yeah i just forgot what i was talking about (laughs) no it's fine just coming back to i think where it started was this um abusive relationship analogy you know in terms of depression and it inspiring art i just wanted to mention that quickly before we move on from it but it is a interesting analogy in terms of you saying of course i want to be out of it of course i i want to be out of it but at the same time you have said and uh, you are saying to a certain extent winners aren't funny and depression could be good for art. Yeah, but, that, it, but in Buster terms of, Keaton wasn't a winner. Do you know what I mean? No, but all I, all I wanted to say is the work that you're doing in terms of you're getting fit, you're seeing a therapist, this is all work, presumably, to lessen your depression. This is work to, yeah? Yeah, or to distract yourself from it, I think. Or to lessen it. Uh, to, to break it. I mean, it's still there. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying. Yeah, it's... but it's it's in the gym. It's still there. Maybe it's the fact that um, psychologically, I have been I've, I've been dealing with it for such a long time. Yeah. But when you're in the gym, you don't go, 
oh, I'm happy, you go, I wonder how long this will last. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It, it, it can lessen and those periods can last for longer um, than they have done. You can, you know, go in remission on depression at least for a day or do you, do you see that that's a possibility? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, three months, uh, two years ago where I was the happiest I've ever been. And yeah. I, was, I was happy on a level where it, uh, at first I was just like, what's this feeling? Yeah. <laughs> Like I didn't, I didn't, I hadn't felt it in a long time. Or I hadn't felt it before. Yeah. Where it was uh, no strings attached happiness. Yeah. But that's what I mean. It sounds like a stupid question. But from what you've said in the past, that's something you're surely striving towards, aren't you? For to feel like that permanently. Yeah. Yeah. What? No strings attached happiness. Yeah. Yeah. But the, but every, but with depression, I think what happens is every moment of happiness there are strings attached. Yeah. Where it's a trade. You go, I'll give you this. Yeah. But, you know, I'll give you this. Well, if but the you're going to feel, you're going to have remorse afterwards. Well, if the trade is your art suffers, for example. I know. think if you're happy, it won't matter. Yeah. If you're, ha- if you're happy and um, you know it, <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter if people are clapping around. Okay? Um, what were you doing for those three months? Were you achieving a lot artistically? Um, no, no, I, I was, um, it's a terrible thing then. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't achieving stuff artistic, but it wasn't because of that. It was, it was, it was a very complicated thing. Okay. I was coming off antidepressants and I don't know if the drugs were anything to do with it, but, but I, I, was, I wasn't on drugs at the time. But you do feel like there is a, um, potential future where you go into those periods of, whether it's strings or no strings, but a period of greater happiness where you're still producing the art that you want to produce, you know? Is that something that you see as a possible future? I think one of the things is, is I'm, I like working and I like being creative. Not like I like being creative. I, that's all I've got, you know? Mm. Um, and, um, and when I write something or I create something or I do something and I perform, or I act, or uh, I make a, uh, an album, or I just write some music, or even if I write an outline for a potential TV show, I feel amazing. I feel absolutely great, mm. and I wish I could feel like that all the time. The problem is, my depression gets in the way of me getting anything done. Mm. And so you have to sort of hurdles that depression in order to get that thing done and then you get that moment of euphoria where you feel like you've achieved something like going to the gym almost but it's but even that is kind of like when when i'm at the gym i'm just like i should be working you know Mm. um when i'm not at the gym and i'm not working i'm in this haze of depression where I, i can't i don't function and it's kind of like um and when I do get something done, I'm just like, why can't I do this all the time? But it's kind of like I have bursts of intense productivity. Um, and then I have like slumps where I can't get anything done. I think definitely stuff like Edinburgh having like a deadline. That's sort of like in stone, August. You work towards August. And if you don't, you look like a prick in front of everyone. I think that is... That is, that's a great like motivation to get work done and to, mm. to have, you know, and then you've got a show after it and then, you know, you tour the show. And so it's kind of like, that's actually, I guess, quite a good uh, mark in the sand to say, 
Oh, there's Edinburgh every year, but then also I've done Edinburgh every year since two thousand and uh, since nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, you know, so it's kind of done Edinburgh. So to keep going back to Edinburgh is kind of like your fix for everything. It's depressing in its own self, you know. Sometimes, although mm. you can get like amazing things out of it. <laughs> yeah, you know. And do you do you enjoy that success? Because you have had such a lot of success with the Edinburgh shows and with television and everything else. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I love, I love, I love, uh, I love being. Um, I, and also, success is short lived. Mm. You know, um, success isn't uh, a state that you enter, and now you're successful. Mm. Success is, you know, it's, you're only as good as your last show. So success is kind of like fleeting. Mm. And one of the stressful things I imagine about being at the very top of... I imagine being Tom Cruise. I imagine that is a stressful life. (laughs) It takes so much work and perseverance to be Tom Cruise, you know. Mm. Um, And so even for someone like Tom Cruise, it's fleeting, you know. Mm. Uh, each each individual it's like success isn't a state success is a series of individual things of course so for people to perceive someone else to be successful is for them to say well that person's very successful Mm. but you know um we finished making uncle in 2016 yeah and so it's sort of like from my point of view people people say oh you're very successful from my point of view it's just kind of like i just want to keep working yeah and so i see work as success Mm. But you take the time to enjoy the success, whatever it's... No. Whatever form it takes, no? <laughs> but the success... The, the work is the reward in itself, you know? Right. I, th- I think... I think... Uh, uh, you know, I am single and... Um, uh, and I have anxiety issues about going on holiday by myself and stuff like that. So one day I will be married with children, I imagine. Um... And, uh, you know, and that's a positive uh, prediction, isn't it? But, you know, that's looking at a brighter future. But I think, um, and, and there'll be time for, but that's a terrible way of saying it. There'll be time for holidays and enjoying yourself. But I find actually the process of working and writing and creating stuff so rewarding yeah. that, um, that that's all I really kind of like need at the moment. Yeah. Well, that's great. And and what else gives you happiness? Does music give you a lot of happiness? Playing? Listening to music. Listening, playing. I've um, started, the reason I ask is I've started learning piano. I've got to grade six and whatever, and I just love it. I just, it, whatever I'm going through, that allows a total release, as does, I don't know whether on stage is a total release for you. Like, you, you're never thinking any negative thoughts on stage, are you, or are you? Um... Generally, you can have good and bad gigs. Mm. You know, I think overall, I look back on the first part of my tour and I look back on it and I think, wow, what an achievement. I did a really, um, you know, for me, I, I was open and I was honest on stage. It was also the funniest show that I've written. Mm. Um, and I think it's the best show that I've written. Maybe it's not the funniest show that I've written, but it's the, um, it's the best show that I've written. Mm. Uh, which, you know, getting to year on year, it's much better to be saying that the stuff I'm doing now is the best thing I've done rather than looking back wistfully. It's, 
you know, I would say This Means War in 2012 was the funniest show that I'd written. Mm. And up till now, that was my favourite show. Mm. But, um, or was it? Death to Dream was a good show. Um, you know, only I remember the names of my shows as well. <laughs> um, but it's kind of like, uh, it's much better to be saying that the work that you're doing now is the best stuff you've ever done than to look back on something that you did a decade ago and go, yeah. oh, that was a good show. So... So in a way, I'm very happy. You know, I've just done this show. But then also, Southampton was a fucking cunt of a night. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so you can kind of like... Uh, it's weird, isn't it? It's a paradox. Mm. You can be having the best tour of your life, uh, yet be having one of the worst gigs you've ever known at mm. the same time. Well, uh, I, I saw you as really happy when you were doing that I think you stink this year oh god yeah but I mean that was incredible yeah it was like I but I'd met like uh Katie Pritchard and Jenny Bede and I'd known Suze Kempner and so yeah I mean such a brilliant cast such a brilliant show so this was a show you did in 2008 then brought back to the Edinburgh Fringe last year why don't we play in a clip this is a song called boyfriend from hell it's a work in progress recording from an upcoming i think you stink album excitement there when I mentioned it it's like that's what uh, what, but, what I remember from Edinburgh that was like that was my last that was my last theatre show yeah when it when it becomes an ego contest and it's all about kind of like trying to be the top of your game and kind of like Tom cruising it and mm. kind of like always trying to outdo yourself always trying to push yourself to be the best you can be no matter what the expenses no matter how many friends you live crippled in the in the ditch <laughs> And no matter how many people you step on and stand on and, you know, crawling your way to the top, you know, it's kind of like, that is a fucking piece of shit of a life. I, I, I don't, mm. I've, I've never tried to live like that. I've never wanted to live like that. Not everyone is like that in the industry, but the industry is full of people like that. Mm. And I just think, you know, it's just so fucking cunty sometimes. And the thing that I, I loved most about Edinburgh was not getting an audience, was not doing it for the money, was mm. not doing it because it was my job, but to work a fucking day job in a fucking, uh, doing admin, you know, I don't want a job in admin, I wrote a song about it, right? <laughs> but I did a job, but that, that song came from the fact that I had a job in admin. Mm. You know, I was getting, I was working nine to 5.30 every day. I used to say, working nine to 5.30, which is officially half an hour longer than Dolly Parton if I bothered it, <laughs> right? And it's kind of like, so I used to, and I used to make 205 pounds a week, right? Mm. 
which is you can't live off that. You can't move out of your parents' house on that. No. You're fucked. It's basically a trap <clears throat> where you're working, you know, 40 hours a week. You've got no energy left and you've got not enough money to, money to do anything at the weekend. Mm. So while I was at work and the boss wasn't watching, I would write Edinburgh shows. And yeah. I'd say to myself, isn't this incredible? I'm getting paid to write. <laughs> you know? and, and, that, and in 2008, when I, um, when I, this is when I worked in Hatfield, just, just in case anyone was listening, not when I was working in St Albans. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed that St Albans job very much. Um, but um, uh, the Hatfield one was like uh, just absolutely excruciating, mm. and um, and so I would write. I, I wrote. I think you stink while I was at the office. Right. And uh, and I worked all year. Worked with friends from school, mm. and then we put on a show in the summer, and it was the best show that I'd ever written up to that point in two thousand and eight. I've been doing comedy for about a year and a half by that point, mm. and yeah, and it was so rewarding. It's it's a mm. show that I've kept coming back to. <laughs> And then this year was kind of like, I'm going to do a stand-up show. I have to do a stand-up show. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, what my passion lies in is working with other people and collaborating with people. Yeah. You know? Well, that's and what I saw, and it was very obvious that you just loved being with those... Those people. People and... Like, Jenny Bede, who, I, who I've known for years, but I've not known, right? I mean, she told me, well, we, got, we, became, we became very close. Yeah, and she told me that she thought that I used to hate it. She's like, no, I never used to hate her. I never used to think about it. Enjoy what I mean. I never had an opinion. I didn't yeah. know you. You know, I think that's what every. That's the thing. That's what We're everyone is. To, yeah. Everyone is, and I don't want to speak for Jenny, but it's just like, but I think that people hate me, and it's just because it's bit, and maybe some of them do, and you know, a lot of them haven't done anything to prove me otherwise. But you know, I worked with Jenny. I got to know Jenny for the first time in like. After ten years, and I and I love her. I think she's absolutely incredible. Mm. Same with Katie, and I didn't know Katie at all, so I knew everyone a little bit. Mm. I've worked with Suze on a few Suze Kemp. I've worked with her on a few things, and Rob Kemp. We became friends because we're both massive Evil Dead fans, yeah, um, and Bruce Campbell fans. And so I love I love them all. Mm. Uh, Katie walked in the room. I never met her before, and she just turns out to be one of the most talented people I've ever met. Yeah, and it's just like you're working with this group of people. Mm. And it kind of energises yourself. Yeah. And then it was the best reviews that I'd ever got for anything that I've ever done this mm. year. Um, you know, and, and it's all through working with other people and relying on other people. Not relying, but um, allowing other people to be talented in your own thing. Not yeah. crushing other people, but encouraging other people. And fucking hell, isn't that... You know, I think that I, I like stand-up. I like the feeling of stand-up. I like being on stage and I like getting the credit and I like people clapping you. But essentially you've painted yourself into a lonely corner, <laughs> right? Where it's kind of like, if you make money off of stand-up, that's great. But isn't, isn't it better to make money working with your friends and to sort of like working with, with other talented people? And, and I think that that's kind of like what I really got out of Edinburgh. Like, yeah. like will I continue to do stand-up? Yeah. But where does my heart lie? My heart lies in, in doing other creative things. Yeah, yeah. That's you know, great. Where, do, where do I make a living? Stand up. Mm. But that's kind of like um, a poison chalice because, you know, and I think everyone feels like that with stand up as well. Like psychologically, talking about the psychology of stand up, when you start out, you're all shit and there's 50 of you and you're all in the same year group and you're all mates. 
and you're all giving each other gigs and you're all giving each other lifts to gigs and you're all in, uh, to put it crassly, you're all in the trenches starting out together. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and then you, um, life gets in the way, people drop out, people quit, people get uh, jobs or uh, they success eludes them and they can't make a living off of it and it becomes an expensive hobby or whatever and then one by one people are filtered out and uh, then there's kind of like a group of successful people that are all gigging by themselves on a Thursday in you know Eastbourne and uh, you're not mates anymore you're not hanging out together anymore yeah and you're only kind of you know, part a lot of part of the you know feeling isolated in comedy, I suppose, is because you know when you do do a gig with uh, Joel Domit, you're like, oh, "Fucking hell, Joel, how are you doing?" And you're friends again, you know. Mm. But when you're you're not immediately face to face with each other, you're just assuming that everyone else is getting on with each other's lives and that you're not part of it. Yeah, you know, and everyone's hanging out with each other. <laughs> and you know this ever, uh, life is a party that you've not been invited to <laughs> and in actual fact you know I think that uh, I mean sometimes that's true uh, but a lot of the time that's not true and I think that you will go off on your separate journeys I suppose um, and there's competitiveness but there's also kind of like everyone's isolated and lonely yeah and you think that and we're all mental <laughs> But, but yeah, but the more you start collaborating with people, you find yourself, uh, as you say, you, assuming everyone hates me maybe, but you quickly find out that's, of course, not the, not the case, and particularly with you. In Edinburgh, I did my solo show at 5.40, and mm. I finished at 6.43. Uh, that's a, that's a, there was problems with that. Okay. But I finished, I overran by three minutes every day. Mm. Um uh, and I tried to get it shorter, but so um, it's just the laughter, isn't it? Just uh, you, well, you don't do you know what? The days for... that I underran were the days that nobody laughed. <laughs> yeah, um, it's just like, I, I wasn't sorry, guys. I wasn't. I wasn't <laughs> anticipating three minutes of laughs. Um, so, uh, so, so I'd do my show and I'd finish at six forty, and then uh, I'd be out by seven. And then at 9.30, was it 9.30? And then we'd meet at 9.30 every day to do I Think You Stink and we would be on at 10.30, we'd be out at 11.30. Mm. And fucking hell, we'd meet at night, we'd meet at 7.30, we'd meet at 8 o'clock, we'd meet like two hours before showtime because we fucking loved each other so much. Yeah. You know, we'd hang out and then we'd go out we'd go out for drinks every night not like we wouldn't go out hardcore but we were all kind of like doing two shows a day uh, most of us were singing in our shows mm. um so we were all looking after our voices so we'd go out and find like a quiet bar and play cards until three o'clock in the morning yeah and then we'd go home and it's just kind of like we do that almost every single night in edinburgh and it's kind of like i was up i hadn't done edinburgh a full run in edinburgh for six years i mm. felt like the industry hated me i felt like everyone had turned their backs on me and i was a piece of shit and i was i was like dipping my toe in the water this year and kind of like going do i even have a place in edinburgh anymore so I was really scared about doing Edinburgh this year yeah. or last year with my first solo show in such a long time. Did the solo show. The solo show was great. It made me feel like I still had a place and I'd still, for the first time in any of my shows, I felt like I had something to say yeah. and, a, and a voice and that I'd found my voice maybe for the first time where I can combine 
my stage persona with actually a message, yeah. you know, uh, a sincere message. But then the, the, the solo show would, would come and go. But what I lived for every day in Edinburgh was this group of people that I saw every day. We loved yeah. each other. That's what I mean. When I saw you, it was, it was just so obvious that that was the happiest I'd, you know, I'd seen you. you know? I couldn't stop um, smiling on yeah. stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were doing a horror show. Yeah, yeah, I saw and it. I was it grinning was, for the was, entire thing. You were so happy on and off stage. It was great. And that, that's what I mean. You know, your, your perception becomes skewed, particularly if you're suffering from depression or particularly if you've gone through, whether it's bullying or anything else for a long period of time, you know, your reality does get skewed in terms of what, what is the reality that a lot of people just want to meet up and have fun and be positive and be loving, you know, to each other. And um, I guess that's what you found with this show, you know, which is fantastic. Mm. And hey, that's a positive... But we never performed it again and... We all went our separate ways. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I was trying to end on a positive. I know, you, I know, you're, I know you're wrapping up, but you're, the thing that you're wrapping up can't be the fact that um, I'm just about to go on tour by myself again in the spring mm. and my last happy memory was doing I Think You Stink last summer. Right? <laughs> um, so, you know, I think it's, everything's a work in progress, isn't it? And I think yeah. knowing that and reminding yourself that working with other people, that's the thing, isn't it? Mm. But as you say, this tour, the positive from this tour, not that we have to end on a positive message at all, but this tour, I found it lovely because I heard you say that uh, as well in terms of people coming up to you after the gigs and people suffering from depressions, that it's kind of, there's a group feeling there, is there not? You know, that's... Yeah, I think it's, I think actually I feel like, um, I feel like the show is more than uh, me going on stage talking about myself. It is that. (laughs) But... Um, it's using that as a device to let other people talk about themselves. Yeah. And um, and I think, you know, I've had, not just directly after the show, but people have messaged me um, like prior, or they've messaged me over Christmas and said kind of like, coming to see the show really helped them. Yeah. And, you know, and you don't do it for thanks. You First and foremost, it's a comedy show. It's got to be funny. Mm. If you don't suffer from depression you've still got to find it funny, right? It's still got to be a funny show. Mm. But if you do, and there is that aspect to it, it's nice for me to feel, and not in a kind of ego, maniacal kind of way, mm. right? But um, it, is, it is nice to feel like that. Um, it's not just an hour and a half, two hours of laughter that you're providing, mm. you know, but you are providing something that resonates with people long after the show has finished. Yeah. And you're reminding them that they're not on their own. And you're reminding yourself that you're not on your own. Yeah. And you are kind of like finding that connection with other people where, and I don't, I've been thinking about this. I I don't want, um, I don't want to define myself as a depressed person. Mm. I think, I think when you're, when you're, when you're looking to be a public, not looking to be a public figure, but when you're trying to define yourself in the public's eye, mm. you try and find a hook to be kind of like, well, this is what I am, mm. so that people can easily identify and digest what it is that I do. Mm. So I don't want to have to go, um, oh, I'm the depressed guy. Mm. And so well, people you're... know what they're buying into. Well, let's go and see him. He's depressed. talks about <laughs> depression. I'm not yeah. always going to talk about depression and yeah. hopefully I'm not always going to be depressed. Well, yeah, you know? absolutely. I don't want people to identify me as a thing 
that is unhealthy towards me that I will change one day, you know? Yeah. So I'm going to, you know, so I don't, you know. Um, so think, so <laughs> at the moment, this is kind of like what I'm going through and what other people are going through. But I think that the aim is not to wallow in it and to kind of like mm. try and find ways out. Yeah. And I think, Positive ways out, I should say. Yeah. And I think one of the main ways is surrounding yourself, isn't it? With, you know, stand-up is a lonely profession. And if you do find those times where you can surround yourself with either audience members or with friends, particularly friends. But and, it's not um, like a case of kind of like doing a crowd surf at the end and letting everyone kind of like carry me off on their shoulders. No, it's no, kind no. of like you stand there afterwards and you talk to people yeah. and they tell you yeah. the most personal stuff you know yeah. my show has got stuff in it that i hadn't even talked to my family about before i went on stage and said it you know yeah like deep dark personal stuff yeah uh, and i did that and at the end of it people come up to me and they tell me stuff some of them just want uh to call me a cunt uh, <laughs> uh you know in a friendly way <laughs> but that's what my actors apparently open the doors to. Uh, some of them want me to just sort of like sign a CD uh, available for £10 at the end of every gig, right? Uh, new album coming out soon. Uh, and uh, But some people want to kind of like just open up with me and like have like a minute where they're just sort of like talking to someone. And I'm not, I, I'm not 100% a stranger, but I, we've not met, you know? I guess yeah. they feel like they know me. Yeah. Um, and so they, they share something like deeply personal and I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. You know, not in an, it's not in an egotistical kind of way. It's not mm. like I've got a messiah complex or anything. It's kind mm. of like, um, it's humbling and it, it really makes you feel like, it makes me feel like my problems aren't, aren't mine to own. That I don't, I don't possess those problems alone. No. You know? Well, people. Other people have them. Of course. Mm. But also, I think that it, it just shows that, um, you know, you finish a gig and it's not like, isn't he a lad? Isn't he an absolute geezer? Oh, he, oh, ooh, yeah, he really, you know, it's, there's no meanness to the comedy. It's kind of like it's, it's very compassionate, but it hasn't gone mm. that kind of like, isn't everything wonderful kind of what we were talking about earlier knitting and isn't everything wonderful <laughs> you kind of like you know you kind of like dig deep and you go through a load of uncomfortable and uh, unpleasant stuff yeah and at the end of it you felt like you've dealt with it you haven't brushed everything under the carpet yeah yeah well it's, you want to share everyone wants to share and sharing makes you know generally makes things better and I, I heard you talking just about therapy and how therapy is very good and a therapist can I think you were talking about like you have a mountain of problems and you're attacking it with a little spoon and a therapist can help you with another little spoon but of course all your friends particularly your friends but anyone you meet generally can also have their little spoons and if it's not taking the metaphor to stretching it people can you can give you big shovels and it can really help you and it's what I was saying earlier suffering from depression isn't necessarily a life sentence and you know you can help people without realizing you're helping people yeah and without realizing that those people needed help yeah and people can help you without them realizing yeah um friendship shouldn't be a trade it shouldn't be I'll do this for you if you do this for me of and course. it shouldn't be again it shouldn't be one-sided yeah and so I think if you focus too much on the fact that it's about depression, I'm leaving the house, I'm meeting up with my friend because I'm depressed. 
And I think that maybe every so often just try and think of things and do them for their own merit. Yeah. And which is a little bit like bringing it back to comedy, which is the stuff that I do for my career is always the stuff I enjoy the least. And the stuff where you're on stage with five people and uh, and you're just enjoying each other's company and performing together, even though you've got like a half-filled auditorium mm. and word of mouth hasn't kicked off as much as you were expecting or mm. hoping, you know. Uh, you're not doing it for your career. You're doing it because you love doing it. Yeah. And I think that, um, so, and that can be, that that can be soothing, you know, and that can help you and that can be cathartic without going, I'm going to, I'm going to do this, you know, I'm, I'm, I do solo stand-up, that's my career. Everything else is kind of like, because I want to do it. Yeah. And um, therapy, that's for my psycho- psychology. But going to the cinema with Nat Metcalf, that's just for fun. <laughs> you know? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Nat Maybe Met- that's your happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes down to being with Nat Metcalf for me, happiness. It's no, but anyway. it's like it's like doing stuff no. that isn't for a purpose. Of course, it's, it's just for it's you know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Tricking you, not not even subconsciously, but like not even tricking yourself, but kind of like doing stuff where um, there's no purpose for it. Yeah, and those are those are my happiest moments. Yeah. Well, I hope this has made you slightly happier today. Even uh, just getting out of the house, we could have come. We could have come over yours, and that would have been that wouldn't no, have solved anything. No, you don't want to come over mine. I haven't done the recycling. <laughs> could have been I basically in your spare room. live in a fucking bottle bank. <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I didn't you. fall asleep at all, did I? Uh, no, there was about a five-minute period where you nodded off. But it was oh, fine. No. We played some music. Um, thank you, Nick. You are a lovely such a lovely man such a brilliant comedian that is very rare with a a comedian a lovely person and a very very funny person as well so thank you not that this uh, podcast proves that (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, and thank you so much for coming on to Psychomedy today so that is our show for today join us again next week for more Psychomedy on Apple Podcasts Spotify UK or wherever you get your podcasts if you liked it please give us a five star review it helps other people to find us and any psychopaths leave three star reviews Psychomedy was written and presented by me Nathan Casty, BSc in Psychology and produced and edited by Mike Hansen BA English for Pop People Productions theme music by Mike as well so that's Psychomedy please subscribe rate and listen back on all the great episodes so far they're listed and there's video clips etc and more at psychomedy.co.uk Follow us on social media at Pop People UK, at Psychomedy Pod, at Nathan Cassidy, and at the Nick Helm. Thank you very much again, Nick. Well, thanks. That last bit's dry, isn't it? <laughs> Lots of love. <laughs> and see you again next time when we've written more jokes for the outro. <laughs> <laughs>